0: Come spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men at arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min maxers, horny bards, and blood soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role playing games here on Roland Bone. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome. To Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I'm your host and king of the boneheads, Ryan Howard. And I am back. I am back. Uh, Just to let you guys know what ended up happening with the uh, last interview that we were supposed to have. um, Dave had a little bit of technical issues, and I had COVID. So that's why that didn't ultimately end up going through. but we're back now. I'm fine. Everyone in my house is fine. And I'm excited tonight to kick off 2022 uh, with a guy who's had a lot of super interesting things to say recently. He's done a lot of great live streams and he's you know friends with a bunch of people that I really respect and enjoy in this hobby. He's been a fan of the show for a long time. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, give it up for DM Bloodworth.
1: Good evening, everyone. And uh, thank you, Ryan, for the invite.
0: Absolutely. I I remember when you like added me on Facebook and stuff. I didn't at that point know who you were. And then I found your content and I was like, oh, wait, I think I know this guy. I I think I've seen this guy's stuff. And and at that point, I was like, all right, let's let's bring him on the show. I, I need to I need to talk to DM Bloodworth.
1: Yeah. And like I said, I mean, it's a this is my first interview, so I've been on the, you know, the other side and and I haven't done that many interviews to begin with anyway. So for me, it was really a surprise for for someone to say, listen, I'd like for you to come on the show, you know, and talk about tabletop role playing games. So, you know, I was really, really excited, looking forward to it and, uh, you know, just ready to roll.
0: Absolutely. So uh, we're going to start here at the beginning where we start with everyone. Uh, I like to ask a lot of the same questions to people who come on the show. Uh, so DM Bloodworth, how did you get into role-playing games?
1: My introduction to role-playing games was, uh, in either 1977 or 78. So that would have made me around 10, 11 years old. Mm -hmm. My, uh, my first dungeon master was, uh, was Shayana. And, uh, he was a, um, you know, he was a good friend of mine from elementary school, obviously. And, you know, one day he asked uh, myself and uh, our friend Adam and Steven to come over his house. And so uh, this is on on, uh, Suffolk County, Long Island. So Long Island, New York. And, uh, you know, back then, you know, young kids, we walked, (laughs) you know, we walked uh, several miles to his house and he introduced us to uh, a role-playing game. It was the first time that I ever you know, scene one, I vividly remember the, the graph paper and, you know, those dice that you had to fill in with the crayon, you know, just to be able to read the numbers and, you know, all the way I vaguely remember my first character. I knew my first character was, uh, was a fighter, um, you know, obviously a human fighter. And um, I, I, I was never quite sure whether it was the Holmes edition or the Moldvay edition, but uh, Moldvay was the first box set that I owned. So that was the first RPG that I actually bought uh, for myself. And we played, we played almost every day. Um, and then that carried us through, you know, even through high school, we played six days a week um, and, mixed in a few games here and there, but for the most part it was uh Dungeons and Dragons and then advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Gotcha.
0: Gotcha. <clears throat> now I don't know I, I don't know if you know the answer to this question or not, and if you don't it's fine. Uh but one thing that always fascinates me, uh people who got into the hobby super, super early on, uh at you know, 77, 78, just a few years into the existence of uh mm-hmm of D and D as a whole. Uh, Do you know how your first DM found out, found out about the game, got into it, all that stuff. Do do you know kind of how he found the hobby?
1: I'm, I'm not, I'm not quite sure how, you know, I don't know how he found it. Um, he lived closest to the hobby shop Mm -hmm. you know and so and that that the hobby shop was the source for all of our materials from then on and this was before um i i think this was really before the hobby shop was even set up for gameplay like you know you didn't go to the hobby shop to play you just went there to buy the books and then you went home or you went we went to the public library and played at the public library but for the most part, we played in the in in our homes, like our three homes that we uh, where we alternated uh, DMing. So um, yeah, so I don't know quite sure how he picked up. I I'm still Facebook friends with him, so I can always ask him. Uh, even though I haven't brought up Dungeons and Dragons with him in in ages, uh, but I could always shoot him a a, a, a Facebook uh, PM and and find out what his uh, what brought him to the game first gotcha now
0: of all the game systems that you played and i think a lot of people who come on here who are you know from the osr have a very similar answer to this question but of all the game systems that you've played uh in in the entire time that you've been a gamer what would you say your favorite is
1: well i i have different favors of favorites based on the genre Um, so obviously high fantasy is going to be Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and, and my, my favorite of those is advanced first edition. Um, and I I know a lot of times people say, well, that that's the, you know, it's very disorganized and it's, it's crunchy. And there's, you know, there's a lot of things that don't make sense. I mean, as a 13, 14 year old playing it, I never had a problem with that. You know, um, so of high fantasy role playing, that's my favorite mm-hmm. of uh, more historical, you know, um, you know, military obviously would be uh, Twilight 2000, first edition. Horror is Call of Cthulhu, either second or third edition. I don't know which one it was that we we played uh, first, uh, but third edition was the one that I had. Um anything conan i loved i loved tsr's conan i loved uh you know i loved modiphius's conan um so i never played the mongoose ones in between mm-hmm. so um anything conan i i've i've always loved favorite character favorite author you know so <laughs> i i knew i knew i was going to bring that up with you but uh <laughs> you know that's uh that's another thing so um yeah anything that i connected to Uh, the literature that I was reading at the time, you know, was also something that I really jumped into. If there was a, you know, um, I didn't know of Traveler back then, Mm -hmm. you know, but Traveler just strikes me as being very Arthur C. Clarke kind of, you know, space opera and, and just, uh, you know, very gritty, realistic, you know, um, type of gameplay. So I I would have really enjoyed that. The only RPG that I didn't like back then, and it, it was it just didn't strike me right, was um, I didn't like heroes, um, I, so I, I really couldn't grasp onto that, or champions for that matter. I was strictly a villains and vigilantes, you know, uh, second edition, you know, player for for that particular genre. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it really depends on the genre, and I have a favorite one of each of those.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I I do find it interesting, and, you know, th- this is a lesson that I think the, the RPG market has taught people over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. It is very hard to take one particular system and make it fit every possible uh, iteration of a genre, even... You know, I love Savage Worlds with all my heart. Uh, it's a great setting or system. It's a, you know, it's setting agnostic. So you can run multiple types of games with it. I don't see it as doing fantasy all that well. When it comes to fantasy, I'm always going to grab, uh, at this point, Dungeon Crawl Classics or something mm-hmm. something like that. Um, so it's... It's interesting that that we we find that you know certain games are are better off if they just kind of focus on we want to target this particular feel or this particular genre of uh, you know storytelling or play or you know however you want to put it, rather than trying to broadly focus or even worse,, uh, like they did with the D20 system and like some people are trying to do with 5e right now. Uh, just beat the the genre into that square peg or mm-hmm. into that square hole, right? Uh, just to use the the system that they think is is best for everything.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's it's very very difficult to make a system that is, uh, you know, that is very easy to move from one genre to the next. Um, mm-hmm. I guess GURPS does a pretty decent job, but that's a very simplistic system and it's, it's obviously skills-based, you know, um, you know, 5e, I I think it's hard to do. I've, Mm -hmm. I've tried some, I've tried some sci-fi based 5e and, um, I I don't think it really works that well, uh, with that kind of a a game engine to it, you know, Mm -hmm. if you want to call it a game engine, but, um, yeah but for the most part i agree with you it's it's like i think certain games are very genre specific or vice versa
0: yeah absolutely uh so next up on my list of questions that everyone gets asked um and and this is a two-parter as you know uh we all like to you know develop our own particular styles when we play games both as uh as game masters and as players so if you had to describe your play style as a game master and as a player how, how would you describe that
1: well as far i'll, I'll start with player first because that's kind of easier i tend to play characters that are you know very different than myself um and they, they, they tend to be chaotic neutral. Uh, if I, if I'm playing a game that has alignment system or I certainly play them that way, even if it doesn't have an alignment system. So, um, and you know, a very, a very Conan the barbarian kind of, mm-hmm. you know, approach to, uh, very practical and self-centered and, and, you know, uh, as far as goals are concerned, uh, and, you know, uh, very easily um very loyal but also easy to you know tip over into vengeance real quick you know and it's uh you know i i've taken that kind of character play and i carry it into um especially computer gaming i'm i'm like a maniac in in you know mmos and things <laughs> like that it's like you know very protective of my guilds or my alliances like i'm i'm playing um I'm playing Starfleet uh Starfleet Command uh battles is it, you know the mm-hmm. uh you know and um just just today actually um because I'm in a, a fairly large large group and uh someone attacked my mining ship and destroyed my mining ship when it, it wasn't you know um it wasn't over full you know that's kind of like a, a server rule yeah uh don't don't kill ships that aren't Um, that are under their cap for capacity. Mm -hmm. And so this was a much larger alliance, but I was like, hell no, I got to kill this guy back, you know? (laughs) And if I can't find him, I'm going to kill one of his allies and then send a PM to both of them to tell them, you know, I'm not one to mess with, you know, I don't care what the cost is. I'm going to retaliate. And so I retaliated. I found him. Luckily, I found him and I killed him instantly. And he was like, oh, I, I, I it was an accident. I was like, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. It was an accident. You know, I says, uh, let's just leave it at one for one and we could both walk away, you know. And then my own alliance was like, uh, well, we really thought that this could have been handled differently. I was like, not for me, you know, <laughs> not for me. There was, you know, eye for an eye. You know, I don't care. Well, we try to play within the rules and you kind of broke the rules by taking him when he wasn't over. I was like, doesn't matter. You know, (laughs) it's like, that's just the way it is. You know, I says, I bet you he won't touch my ships again. I says, and that's the only message that I wanted to send was that you will pay for that action. And so I play my tabletop role playing characters very similar to that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a long time, long time EVE online player. I played that for 12 years. All right. So um, I can fit into that kind of a MMO mentality uh, very easily uh, and including on tabletop. So, so that's, I think one half of your question. (laughs) Um, Oh, the other half DMing. So I would say that in my current campaign right now, I think that I have finally struck what I consider to be my best DMing, you know, of my, you know, 30 years of DMing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it has a lot to do with the fact that I have great players. Now, I have a very large group of players. I have nine players Mm -hmm. in my AD&D first edition Uh, campaign and uh, we're into going into our 24th week and they hate missing a week and we haven't yet and i hate missing a week and again it's a it's like we're we're as soon as we're done with the session we're looking for the next session and i think what i struck upon that was that i'm leaving it much more um much more open-ended that when they make a decision uh, to do something, I kind of roll with it. And then I try to build the consequences up around it. You know, plus there's the, there's the campaign, the the underlying theme that still continues along its timeline, whether they engage with it or not. All right. And then I make sure that I include uh, as often as possible, the three pillars of tabletop role-playing. So there is always going to be, uh, there's always going to be some kind of lore or story behind it that they're learning about the world. So that's the exploration pillar.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There's usually going to be some kind of a combat engagement, um, but not always. And then there's always some kind of an interaction, whether it's amongst themselves or with NPCs. And I found that by making sure I hit all three of those things, by giving each of the nine players moments where they're kind of the focus of what's going on, and uh, by, by talking with them, you know, before these sessions really began, and when we started pl- planning out and and kind of thinking how long might this campaign last, and when I kind of did like a rough calculation in my head, plotting out how, how long it took them to get from first to second level, and I started projecting and, and plotting that out, I was like, by my calculations, it should take us about two years and 11 months to get you to where I think this campaign might come to an end. And not a single one of them balked at the idea. It was buy-in right from like the third week in having something that would last two two years and 11 months or three years and that had me just totally dedicated to you know running this campaign and and like I said I think it's it's my it's been my best experience as a dungeon master you know with a phenomenal group of players
0: absolutely and and if you don't mind me asking how long have you been dungeon mastering
1: well I I dungeon mastered in you know in and out between uh 77 and uh, around 88 89 so about 11 years there mm-hmm. then i had a long hiatus away from tabletop role playing i i you know i followed like all, all the rest of the players in you know in the 80s or a lot of the kids in the 80s um i i started playing you know uh playstation and you know, computer RPGs, and, and then I spent uh, eight years in the military, mm-hmm. and and I know I hear a lot of people talking about, you know, uh, oh, well, when I was in the military, we were still playing role playing. Not my experience at all, oh. you know. I guess I was just, I was surrounded by, um, I was, I, I think it was because I was in a headquarters company at the brigade level, Mm -hmm. So most of the people that I was associated with were older than I was. I mean, I I probably had more Vietnam veterans as, you know, as my fellow soldiers, you know, and, and they were always much higher ranking than I was too. It's like, I I was at one point, the only private in the G4 section, Mm -hmm. you know, of, of the unit, uh, which is the logistics section of the unit. And, um, most of my my unit was a military police unit. So, I mean, virtually everybody on the outside were, were police officers. It just wasn't, a, you know, mm. there was no indication of playing role-playing games, you know, in that unit. So uh, I never had that experience. So for that eight years or so, no real connection. We played plenty of, you know, PlayStation sports games and stuff like that, but nothing along the tabletop role-playing. And then I continued doing computer RPGs. I did not get back into tabletop again until 2015. Gotcha. Yeah. And then I picked up DMing right from there. Gotcha. We're GMing. Yeah, right from there. So,
0: cumulatively, you'd be looking at 17, 18 years of, uh, yeah, of GMing, probably? Yeah, yes. All right, so for all of you uh, GMs who are just now starting out, uh, DM Bloodworth, it took him... Uh, Longer than that, but, you know, 17 years of GMing to stumble upon what he thinks is his best GMing, and I imagine uh, a few years from now, uh, the next campaign that you're running, you're going to say, no, this is my best GMing. So, yes, your best GMing is always ahead of you. Just Yes. Everyone keep that in mind. If you think you're a terrible GM now, uh, you know, everyone does at one point or another, and uh, your best GMing is yet to come, so...
1: Yeah, that that's absolutely true. I mean, and and it's almost like it's almost like that unint- unintended thing too. It just happens, yep. you know. Um, I mean, I'm a teacher by trade, and I've had some difficult students that our I, I was able to just have eating out of the palm of my hand. All right, and, and this is middle school age kids, mm-hmm. you know, and just you know right here. And people will say, well, how'd you turn that kid around? I have no idea. You know, that's what I tell them. I said, honestly, to tell you the truth, I have no idea. Hmm. I said, it's just at the right moment, I gave that kid exactly what he or she needed to hear. And then from that moment on, the the relationship was always uh, a really, really good rapport going you know, from that point on. And uh, for a long time, I've had, you know, I I was the kind of person that they would say, talk to this kid or talk to that kid, you know, and ch- just try to get them into the thing. And it didn't always work. Like I said, it, it it's like it wasn't something that I could just, you know, like, oh, here here's my notes. This is exactly what I did with Billy. And so now this is going to work with Sharon. No, it was never like that. It was always by surprise. And if you're DMing and... You just change up your your group a little bit. You might have a completely different experience, all right? and and you the same thing won't always work. So always be ready to you know make some changes if you see something isn't working. Try something new, and uh, you know once it works with you, stay with it. Stay with that particular group. Let it work out, and then. You know, try something different with a different group of people. Don't always try to duplicate it because it's sometimes it is lightning in a bottle. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's it's always just at the at the most random moment that stuff like that happens. I was running my my uh, Dark Sun game, my 5e Dark Sun game, hmm. uh, which in hindsight, 5e Dark Sun was a mistake <laughs> Um but if you want to hear two hours of me and some other guys, including Luau Lu and uh, and Bill Barsh uh, talking about uh, Dark Sun in Dungeon Crawl Classics and uh, several other topics, uh, check out this old dungeon, Luau Lu's podcast. Just plug for, for a friend there. But that aside, um, one of my players said, dude, I've been playing uh, D and D for 30 years. You are a great dungeon master. And I was completely taken aback. I was like, I, I'm what I've only been doing this for like a few years. I, I, what do what you, he had so much fun with the game. He, he said, you know, you are a great dungeon master. And it, it, again, it was not, it wasn't a session that I was like, that was a banger. That was the best session we've ever run. It was mm-hmm. just a regular session. And, uh, he, he said that to me and I, I was completely shocked and floored by it. And now I'm like, yeah, I am a great dungeon master. And I, I just hold <laughs> on to that. I hold on yeah. to that moment where a player told me that I was that I was great at dungeon mastering.
1: Yeah, I, I think another thing, uh, you know, just to add on to it is that, um, you know, something else I, I, I was very conscious with is. Uh, number one, I wasn't afraid to tell my players no all right so like at the very beginning they were like well can i play a cavalier no all right i says i'm sorry but i just don't like the the class i think it's a broken class Mm -hmm. you know it was a mistake from our north arcana and so i said no you can't play that class i wouldn't let them play barbarians either for two reasons number one another broken class um you know very very powerful in the beginning but then they they're you know, if we're doing a long campaign, they're going to find that they're they're underpowered uh, levels 10 plus, And we're looking to go longer than that. So, um, and I said, plus we're not in the region. We're playing in Greyhawk. Mm-hmm. I was like, you're nowhere near any of the barbaric lands. And there's, you know, how are you going to get there? I was like, no, I'm not going to, you know, deal with that either. Um, I don't particularly like bards. So it was kind of, eh, I really don't want to, but, but now my most experienced player, um, who was actually, you know, a a former employee of TSR. Um, and that's old TSR. So 1982 to 1987, Mm -hmm. uh, he was there and, um, you know, he said, listen, I really like to play a bard. So I wasn't going to tell him though. I was like, okay, you, you'll go through the process of, you know, you know, seven levels of fighter, then he'll have to do seven levels of thief, and then he'll become a first level bard. So it was like if you want to dedicate your time to doing that, then fine. Um, but uh, the other thing that I that I learned to do was to separate the players' knowledge because all of my players are very experienced. Uh, uh, the youngest is in uh, his. Um, well, actually, I just picked up a, a new um, a new female player to the group, and I think she's certainly the youngest. But I've I've played with her now for almost a year. Uh, both as a player and as a GM, and so um, she's she's going to come on. But I, the one thing I wanted to do with the uh, with the players was to separate what their characters would know with what the players know. Mm-hmm. And I I think that by saying, well, you know what, your character might know something about this. All right, so think about your character a little bit, and then. You know and then try to make that connection so trying to put the players into their characters minds and what their characters might know and you know always separating the two and i think that's really important too because it allows them to become much more immersed as to what's going on and to think about their characters and just like well what kind of talents and and knowledge might my character have you know, uh, as opposed to what I have as a player, and that's really, really important. I think to um, to just prod out of your players as a DM.
0: Wait, so so DM Bloodworth, you you're telling me that there is a there is a female, a, an actual woman who's enjoying an OSR game? Uh, the oh, internet I, I, told me yeah. that was impossible.
1: <laughs> no, I I have I have two women in my group. Now, again it's it's nine players so yeah. two are women and and seven are men so there there's no um you know it, it's certainly not a 50 50 mix but when i was playing i right, with this with the one of the same women and uh my my former dm is actually the magic user in my group mm-hmm. when we played we were 50 50 it was three women and uh and three guys plus the dm And uh, at one point it was four women and, um, and the three guys plus the DM. So it was always balanced. Mm -hmm. So it just, it was just luck of the luck of the draw. If you want to say it, it was uh, organic. It wasn't like we, we went out there and saying, Oh no, no, you're, you you can sit, you can't sit or we really want you because you're, you know, X, Y, or Z, Mm -hmm. you know, always organic grouping. And and that's another thing that I think is very, very important to, to emphasize Um, as, as a, as a DM or a GM, if you want to call it a GM, uh, trying to create a new table. Don't worry about who comes to your table other than, are they coming to your table to play the game? That's the only thing I concerned myself with. Are you coming to my table to play the game? Mm. All right. And you know, let the let the chips fall where they may. If it's if it's if it's nine white guys, it's nine white guys. All right, so I will go there. <laughs> it's if it's you know if it's nine women, it's nine women. I'll, yeah. I'll be happy with that too. You know, if it's you know this race or that race or this gender or or this you know orientation, I don't care. Hmm. Are you sitting at my table ready to play? Yeah. You know, and that's the only thing that I'm concerned about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, like, that's the only thing anyone should be concerned about. Mm-hmm. Who who wants to who wants to play some DD? Yep. So uh two more of these introductory questions, and then I've got mm-hmm. a, a couple topics for us to dive into here. Um What would you say is your fondest RPG memory if you had to pick just one?
1: As a player, it was when I uh, I was playing a, a half elf female character, my very first female character, playing a female character, and um, and she actively plotted to have uh, my friend Steve's character killed, all right, um, so that she could then so that she could then steal his uh, you know his belongings, you know while feigning. You know, first of all, he was an annoying character. He was yeah. really annoying. You know, he was he was almost like the the Leroy Jenkins of the group. Just that it was thirty years before Leroy Jenkins. Yeah. All right. And so it was like, oh, this guy is such a pain in the neck. So I was like, the next time he goes into a room that I have scouted out and I knew was was basically a place that I didn't want to go into. And so he did. He ran right into there. And I slowly closed the door and I iron spiked it shut and then just walked away. All right. And then when we, when we found his body later on, it was like, Oh, I don't know how this happened. You know, it was like, you know, Oh my gosh, he's been killed. So I was like, I I feel so bad because I scouted out this room and I just didn't realize that it had anything in it, you know, and and so I paid the 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 five hundred gold pieces to put him into a mausoleum with all of his belongings. <laughs> that way, I could go in there and steal all of his belongings <laughs> and and sell them for. I, I think I made like a fifteen hundred gold piece profit on Nice. It. And my DM was like, "You're not chaotic, dude. He says that's <laughs> the most chaotic evil thing. You know, we had and and this was as like." 12 or 13 year olds,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and, you know, we just had that, that whole concept of, you know, how alignment is, is really supposed to work, mm-hmm. you know, and um, you know, and, and just, you know, we had no problem with PVP and we never did in, you know, in our games. So it's like, no one, you know, no one ever really crossed that line again, you know, cause it kind of sent the message. Yeah. My friend, Steve didn't care. He was like, wow, that was a really cool story. He says, I can't believe you and the DM were in on this, you know, the whole time, <laughs> you know, and, and knew that this was going to go down. And uh, I was like, yeah, I mean, just don't play your character like that anymore. And I won't have a problem. Uh, now, when we played Twilight 2000, we were like, the frag is coming. The frag is coming. Make sure you don't get, you know, you don't frag the lieutenant, you know, uh, mm-hmm. kind of thing. But uh, but yeah, I mean, that that was as a player, that was my you know, most favorite moment. Um as a DM, my most favorite moment was when uh the player characters grew attached to this uh, grew attached to a uh a former slave. He was an escaped slave. And uh this is in this is in a fantasy role playing game uh setting and they um they just attached to him. He became almost like a Gunga Din to them, all right? Without them being old enough to even know what Gunga Din's story was. So he was like their guide and they were not supposed to care about him because he was, you know, formerly a thrall and they were not supposed to like, you know, this was in a, a, a very uh, Nordic setting yeah. and they were not supposed to grow this attachment with him, but they did. And then when he got killed, their level of vengeance was amazing to me. I was like, wow, I mean, these guys are going to go all out. um, And now I have to start creating this thing because it was, again, it was on the fly. didn't know that they were going to go that direction with it and, you know, had to create a whole scenario around that point. And that was the first time that that I really understood how an NPC like players could get attached to an NPC, uh, very quickly. And, um, and how they'll, they'll treat an NPC as part of their own group, even though, uh, well, wasn't designed that way. And and so that's, you know, and I just recently had that same realization with my AD and D group, uh, last week, one of their henchmen was killed and, um, You know, and they had the same kind of impact. It was like, oh, geez, you know, it's really we're responsible uh, for this because we should have been looking out after him kind of situation. And so, uh, yeah, it's just any time that you get your players to to attach to an NPC, I think is a is a great moment as a dungeon master, because that means that you uh, you breathe life into that character to the point that the players actually cared about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've got one last uh, introductory question here. <laughs> this is one that a lot of people uh, take some, some time to come up with an answer for or you know, maybe have an answer off the top of their head. The answer to this question can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be. Uh, but DM Bloodworth, if you could put anything on a t-shirt with the exception of your logos that you use in your content
1: (laughs) what would it be oh my gosh i mean i could go very cliche and and just say dad but uh (laughs) you know (laughs) um i mean game related i i would just say i mean there's there's so many that are just out there that are you know, you could buy off the rack kind of thing. Um, t-shirt question. You know, I, I thought a little bit about this because I watched some of your previous streams and, and you know, I couldn't think of it then. And, you know... Um, I mean... The Dice Decides, you know... Um, I mean, yeah, I I just don't have a great question, you know, great answer for that question. Um, I mean, I do believe that the, you know, the dice do decide um, and and that kind of shields you from, you know, from, you know, player angst. But uh, yeah, I just don't have a good question, you know, answer for that. Um, At least not now. Um, Sorry about that. Oh, good. Yeah.
0: I'll tell you what, if something occurs to you before, we, yes, uh, before yeah. we if, if something
1: off, comes to me, yeah, maybe something will spring to mind.
0: Yeah. Just, uh, just yeah. let me know. And uh, even if like I'm in the middle of a sentence, you can shout it out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, with the initial questions out of the way, one of the big things that I really wanted to talk with you about, because um, this involves one of your, one of your most recent live streams, this, Odd notion that some of the Twitter warriors have come to that if you're a fan of RPGs, that necessarily means you have to or should support Wizards of the Coast directly, buy their stuff, and play 5e. Otherwise, you're not really a fan where did you first encounter this and, and, you know, what What are kind of your thoughts just at, at, mm-hmm. at that as a whole?
1: Well, I think the first time I came across this, you know, real anti-OSR uh, thing that uh, was on Twitter and, the person basically came out and and was was saying something along the lines of that, um, you know, the OSR is a a detriment to the hobby. Uh, the OSR is, uh, you know, is is kind of couch store or, or um, it's based on uh, old. You know, racist, misogynistic, uh, you know, all of the isms that you can think of was, you know, and and that's where the OSR comes from. And, you know, forgetting the fact that, you know, Worcesters of the Coast created the OSR. I mean, they created the OGL. Mm -hmm. which is really what opened the door for the OSR, you know, and and I'm sure some people will will argue, no, that's not true. That's not the historical, you know, line of it. Uh, I've made the mistake of of saying it was a result of 4E and maybe it was 3E or whatever. But, you know, that aside, um, not knowing the exact timeline of it, it's just an attack against something that I felt that you know at least from the people on Twitter, and I think most of the people that attack the hobby on Twitter don't actually play role playing games. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're role playing adjacent. They 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 see that oh it's really cool to talk about Dungeons and Dragons now, but you know um, they they don't actually play the games, or they certainly don't play Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and and that was from the the orcs are racist guy. Who actually came out after getting slammed in the comments, you know, and says, Well, DD isn't even the, the game that I play. It's like, all right, then why are you talking about orcs? You know, it's it's because he he just saw, saw the opportunity to latch on to something. Um, those clowns, and I will say they're clowns that came out against Oriental Adventures. Uh I, I, I wanted to stick pins in my eyes, you know, and ears after listening to some of their their um, their stream about it. But they didn't get past the first three pages of the book and they skipped over the parts of Oriental Adventures that actually explained, you know, no, we, we, we actually had, you know, Asian playtesters. You know, you know, a dozen of them or so, you know, and, you know, this was never meant to be a historical, you know, depiction of any one particular Asian culture. This was a, com- you know, a, a compilation of several different legends and mythologies all crammed into one to try to capture that 80s martial arts movie feel yeah all right and and that was the whole intention of it and they didn't even address it so this is again like that that kind of twitter um adjacent don't really play the games don't really read you know what what was the intent behind creating the games attacking something because they can't control it and i think that's the primary uh the primary thing yeah um they were able to infiltrate and control wizards of the coast because it is one company with one game all right um if they tried to do the same thing with magic the gathering to the same extent hasbro would shut it down hasbro would not allow that property to get damaged All right, because that property is is probably about seventy percent of all of their profit. Yeah. All right. Um. You know, fifth edition is possibly ten percent of their revenue. All right. And actually, when when I was thinking about some of the numbers that I've seen come over the last six months, I think it's probably closer to seven or eight percent of their total revenue. All right. So uh, it's not a huge property, and you know, I've always said that Hasbro would shelf it rather than let it taint Magic: The Gathering. Yeah. All right, um, but that's that's a side issue. Now, when I had that conversation with uh, Jay Scott Garabay, I'll, I'll say his name, and uh, you know, I I enjoy listening to him and I enjoy talking to him. And even though we come from total opposite views of what Dungeons and Dragons is. And you know the 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 role between fifth edition, which he is a, you know, he is a beyond just a supporter of it. and uh, the OSR where I'm probably beyond just a supporter of it as well. Mm-hmm. You know, um wh- the way that he looks at the game and the way that I look at the the game is he doesn't see it as a game. All right, and I do. All right. I think Dungeons and Dragons is a game. Mm-hmm. I think that Gary Gygax and, uh, you know, and uh, Dave Arneson created a game. You know, um, I don't give credit to just one, you know, yeah. or the other. I think that, you know, it's, it's necessary that that both were involved. Um, you know, Gary might have, have taken it and, you know, marketed it and packaged it and, you know, sold it and mainstreamed it you know, but he wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for Dave Arneson's ideas, Mm -hmm. all right? Uh, Dave Arneson is the founder of tabletop role-playing. And Gary Gygax is the founder of Dungeons & Dragons, all right? Neither goes anywhere without the other, all right? And and that's something that I certainly disagree with, with uh, Jay Scott is that, you know, he believes that Gary Gygax is the only one you know, um, that that carried the hobby through. Uh, the other difference is, is that I don't care that Wizards of the Coast sells the most. I mean, and and I use the analogy, and he's never actually addressed the analogy um, because I think it, it holds too true. McDonald's sells more hamburgers than anybody else. If I put five hamburgers in front of you, McDonald's would not be the first one that you grab. Nope, not at all. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it still sells more than everybody else. Selling more doesn't mean that there's quality there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It just means that it's it's easily accessible. You know, it's the one that everybody's heard of, you know, and that's why it sells more. But okay. if given the opportunity to eat a different hamburger, you're gonna go to that different hamburger every time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I I don't know anybody who considers McDonald's hamburger, you know, the best hamburger that's out there. They might have the best fries, but certainly not the best hamburger.
0: Yeah. And I'll, I'll take it a step further. Uh, I, I'm a, I'm a beer drinker. I love my beer. Um, I don't like Bud Light or Budweiser. I drink a lot of craft beer. I drink a lot mm-hmm. of, uh, beer that's made in the Carolinas and Tennessee and Georgia. Uh, cause that's the area that I'm in. And I, you know, I love my craft beer uh, does you know Anheuser-Busch sell more beer than uh all those distillery or all those uh, breweries put together yeah absolutely uh but I I'll, I'll take my OSR Craft Brews over uh Wotzy's Budweiser uh any any day of the week mm-hmm. I like the flavor better and that's what it comes down to yeah. if you like the flavor of the uh, you know fifth edition stuff best, cool. Buy it. But if someone else doesn't, just because you know you're both eating hamburgers, you're both drinking beer, you're both playing role playing games, you don't have to buy the same brands just because one's more popular than the other. That's completely ridiculous.
1: Yeah, and there's the t-shirt logo. OSR, less filling, better taste. <laughs> yeah, <great> taste. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um but yeah i I, I mean again it's confusing quantity for quality Mm -hmm. and and i think that that's where um and i said during that that conversation with him was that um you see more innovation coming out of the osr of course because you have so many different creators um the osr is more populist Uh, In in the sense that it's uh, you know not politically more populist, but I just mean more populist in that um, it's an open door for anybody to go in there. Now, does that mean that you know out of a thousand games, nine hundred suck? Probably. All right, but those hundred are going to introduce something that you haven't seen before. All right, and um, the the only real claim to fame that I think that Dungeons and Dragons beyond its title you know behind beyond its label um is the advantage system and i don't even think that that was the originator of the advantage system all right but but playing with advantage or disadvantage is a you know a great dynamic um it really does add an element of um excitement about it so that's a you know uh but it's very similar to exploding dice which I've seen in other, you know, role-playing, you know, uh, RPGs, you know, OSR RPGs mm-hmm. using explo- uh, exploding dice. Uh, one of my favorite mechanics that I've seen, which is brutal as all, you know, as all hell as you can get, is Venture Satanus' uh, uh, Crimson Escalation. Oh, yeah. All right, where it, it's like, you know... Yeah, a 20, the first round, a 20 is what you need to roll in order to uh, get a critical score. In the second round, a 19 or 20. Yeah. Then an 18 through 20 and so on and so on until you get down to like a 10 and above, you know, in the, I guess the 11th rounds for the 11th hour is, uh, you know, 50% of all attacks. And that means for both monsters and players, you know, are critical hits, uh, it, it becomes a, you know, a real, you know, devastating you know carnage kind of uh, a game mechanic uh great for a uh great for a one-shot play session Mm -hmm. you know because you will just go through characters like that too and and that's what it's really designed to be it's designed like a you know a grindhouse kind of thing so i think that that's where the osr really shines in comparison Mm -hmm. um to so when 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 people argue well you got to play the most popular game and you have to play, you know, they're the only game in town. Uh, to me, that's just, that's just limiting yourself. Back when we first started talking, we were talking about, you know, our experiences with different genres and everything. I have a niece who only plays fifth edition. All right. And, um, never even thought about she's college age actually she graduated from college so none of her friends ever played anything but fifth edition i think so many modern players only play one game from one company that they're really limiting their exposure to the hobby um they're they're really um they're hobbling themselves and not allowing themselves to grow and you don't have that problem in osr and most players i've found in osr and certainly most dms in the osr you know are are people who have played multiple different types of games for a longer period of time Than you know um the osr is not just a fad all right uh you don't find any any fad games there you don't find any um you know everything has some longevity to it i mean even like DCC or, or games like that have been around for a while now, you know, and they haven't faded. So that's where I go with that. Uh, that answer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There, there definitely is. And, and I noticed this too, because I had, um, you know, this was my experience too. I started with five E and for three years, I only played five E. Uh, that Mm -hmm. was the only system that I, that I played, Um, it wasn't until very recently that I picked up Savage Worlds, picked up, uh, DCC, MCC. Uh, I tried BX for the first time. I played Swords and Wizardry. In the past three years, actually, I'll even narrow it further than that. The past year and a half, I have diversified my gaming a lot more. And it has only made the gaming experience for every other game that I've played five E included. Cause I play a lot of five E uh, it's made everything better.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Seeing what other games do and taking ideas from those things are RPGs. And I'm going to use, I'm going to use a Stu Horvath quote here because he said it best from the, the dawn of RPGs. Uh, in the beginning, Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax released Dungeons and Dragons and it was broken. And from that, an entire industry was born.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: The first, the first major publication that was released was broken and a whole cottage industry popped up around. Here's how we would fix these certain things that's the rpg world was never meant for there to just be one giant ruling over everything. Mm-hmm. Y- you need y- you need those other games to make your game better or to make your gaming experience better and to, you know, find new ideas. So, yeah. A lot of this is wrapped up in what well, it's a couple things. One one thing that uh, you know, Aaron the pedantic and I talked about uh not too terribly long ago, was a lot of these people, like you said, don't play games. These are these are RPG dilettantes. They're they're here, and they want to talk about it because it's the thing to talk about on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but once this bubble bursts, once people uh, you know stop watching Critical Role or you know stop watching other stuff, other popular. Internet shows, once the celebrities lose interest in it and Stranger Things gets canceled, uh, it's all going to go away. And mm-hmm. at that point, those people are going to go away. So listening to them is kind of a, a kind of a silly thing to do because they're not in it for the long haul.
1: That's right. Yeah, and I, I, that's a major difference. I mean, I've been playing... First edition ADD. I think we first started in 1979. All right. And uh, even though I had that, you know, 17 year hiatus from tabletop role playing games, um, you know, it's the game that I've come back to, you know. And I don't know anyone who is seriously saying that, well, I'm going to break away from fifth edition, you know, and Twenty years from now, I'm going to come back to fifth edition. There's just no way. I I don't believe that that would be something that someone would go would go back to, mm-hmm. um, having experienced you know any other new evolution of either Dungeons and Dragons or or any other games. Um, in my own experience, I've had very few players actually leave my old school games to go back to fifth edition. I, I can only think of maybe two players. In the last two years that have said, and that's out of, you know, over 30 players um, have actually said, I'm going to go back uh, to fifth edition. I just like that better. Yeah. And there's,
0: there's another issue. And I have not talked about this on the show before. I don't think, Mm -hmm. Uh, but, and I think this is what kind of powers this whole movement of, play 5e or you're not actually a fan uh there's a youtuber named uh short fat otaku who i like a lot of his videos and he put out a video called consumption as identity and you can see this all throughout twitter it's it's everywhere there are people who um it's not just they are a fan of marvel comics marvel comics is has like been grafted onto their soul in a way, or they, at least they act like it has. And a lot of them are very insincere in their expressions of, uh, you know, fandom or a lot of them have not really been around the block all that long. They're just here cause it's popular, but they act like these specific properties, these specific companies, these brands are there to personally cater to them and personally, uh, you know, put out what they want. And uh, if they don't, heaven forbid, they don't. They they lose their minds because they feel like their very soul is being attacked. And unfortunately, you see this with uh, 5e players sometimes, too. Any attack on Wizards of the Coast. And I don't know that Scott is like this personally. He, he acts like this from what I've seen of him. But... You know, a lot of these people, any attack on 5e is an attack on their game and on them as a gamer. It's the weirdest thing to see people treat these consumer products as, like you said, more than a game, Mm -hmm. as facets of who they are. But that's kind of the nature of online fandom discourse at this point. And it's, it's really unhealthy and i think we need to all remind ourselves all of this stuff it's just movies it's just comics and this is just mm-hmm. a game
1: yeah um you know i i often say you know you are not your character your character is not you mm-hmm. you have to make that separation you know otherwise you know you get um i mean you get mazes of monsters yeah I mean, look at that! Uh, I mean, every every person that is even adjacent to the tabletop role playing game uh, games should take a look at that movie. All right, and and just think about the message of that movie because for me, and and again, I I mean, I was a kid when that came out, all right, or you know, a mid teenager when that movie came out. But I look at that 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 was the fuel of the satanic panic. Mm-hmm. All right, because part of the part of the uh, fear that they generated during that time was was not just that oh this is you know satanic rituals and everything like that. It was your kids are going to lose themselves in this game.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All right, and that's what the that's the that's the uh, the theme of Mazes and Monsters with Tom Hanks. In case yep. you're you're not familiar oh, with yeah. the uh, oh, yeah. you know no, your definitely. listeners aren't familiar <laughs> with the movie, um, yeah, it, it's. You know, Tom Hanks, I think, is playing a a cleric. It's been ages since I've seen it. He's playing a cleric, and he ends up going into the sewers, and he ends up stabbing somebody because he believed that they were some kind of an apparition or a monster or something that he was supposed to kill. He completely loses himself in the game. And that was the real fear at the time that was really pushed. Um, I mean, I would argue it wasn't until Dragonlance kind of pulled them out of the satanic panic Mm-hmm. Um because because they Christianized D D and that's that's really what they did uh to pull it out. Plus Frank Metzler wrote a brilliant article that really put that whole time period into you know into its proper perspective and and kind of made even further distance against the panic and the the um T S R never buckled all right and that's another really important thing here and that's something that companies don't necess- like companies buckle now under that same kind of pressure they didn't back then
2: mm-hmm.
1: all right and and that's what really saved the hobby was the fact that because if they if they buckled back in like 86 or whenever that was 85 86 when that was really hitting ahead mm-hmm. um you know you might not have tabletop role playing games today but they didn't buckle. And uh, today we see corporations and not just, you know, not just, you know, tabletop role-playing corporations, but we see corporations today buckle under the Twitter pressure. And the Twitter pressure is is a a small microcosm of people that don't even buy your products for the most part. Mm -hmm. And you're gonna let them drive where your product is going. It just makes no sense. It's like, just, you know, do like Japanese anime tells them to do, you know? Run along, keep your Western ideas and and nonsense away from us. I mean, you know, Japan is pretty based in in a lot of ways. You know, especially when it's Western Western ideas trying to tread on on their you know their pastimes, mm-hmm. and they don't deal with this in anime. And, and there, there's been a few games developers in Japan that was like, screw you, go go away with this nonsense. They don't care. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and that oftentimes is the, is the best solution is to just tell them, screw off, go away. I don't want to deal with you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, binge bear and chat here brings up a good point, by the way, thank you for the follow there binge bear. Um, It's, it's one of those kind of hard lines that we all have to walk is the notion that we like this, you know, this idea that there are more players than ever out there mm-hmm. who, uh, you know, could potentially be a part of your game. Uh, I know in the past it's been difficult to find dungeon masters, difficult to find people who uh, are willing to play or, you know, care to to take the time to Keep a regular gaming schedule, and more more people than ever are now doing that. But at the same time, a lot of these people are trying to reenact what they're seeing on the internet or what they're seeing in uh, these like subreddits where uh, people are telling gaming stories. They're they're essentially trying to relive someone else's fun instead of trying <laughs> to find their own. And I I think we really rather than encouraging everyone to fit into this one mold, we need to encourage people, Hey, find your own fun in this hobby. Cause if you continue to try to, uh, you know, chase to, to use the example, the biggest guy out there, what they do on critical role. If you as a dungeon master, uh, try to just, you know, turn yourself into Matt Mercer or uh, you know, turn yourself into one of the one of the characters from the show. Uh, the best outcome is you do exactly what they did, and you already know how that ends because you mm-hmm. watched that particular episode. The worst outcome is you fail, you feel like a failure, and you don't have fun. And either way, uh, your fun's going to be diminished rather than if you just made your own decisions and uh, kind of let your instincts guide you towards a different outcome a different story and then maybe you get your own rpg story that you can share on the internet that's unique to you or you get your own moment that you're going to remember with your friends forever it just you know it it takes taking a step back and kind of looking at this objectively in a lot of ways but you're gonna have a lot more fun if you just Kind of, you know, think for yourself and game for yourself, and I wish more people would pick up on that.
1: Yeah, I, again, it goes back to diversifying your gameplay. Um, you know, take a chance at the, you know, GMing a game. Um, you know, that's another thing that you know we ha- we haven't you know mentioned yet. But uh, yeah, every once in a while, change it up a little bit. Give give your you know ask your dm if you're if you're a player a can i run a scenario next time you know just give me one little snippet that i can run and j- just get a feel for it um you know a- as an experienced dungeon master you should be looking at your players and seeing well who can take who can take up a session if i happen to be out you know, uh, for whatever reason, you know, uh, especially like nowadays, right? Yeah. You, you could be taken out by, uh, you know, the, the coup for a couple of days and, and just like, uh, I can't run a session, but somebody else can. um, Yeah, change it up a little bit. And, you know, you'll be surprised where watching them run it and you might pick up things from them and then all right i'm i'm back in the saddle again the worst possible thing that could happen is <laughs> you have a total revolt and and they take all your players away from you uh but but if you're you know i seriously doubt that happens very often uh but but if it does happen you're just going to put together another group um it's just like it's just like when your character dies right you just reroll a new character yeah you know if you're when your campaign comes to an end you should be looking to see, well, my next campaign, I want it to be something very different, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, even if it's with the same players, you know, change up the genre that you're playing, change up the, you know, the certainly the game system that you're playing and, and just give it another, you know, another go at it with the same group of people, but um, just run it differently. And, and you'll find that you'll find that you'll capture that lightning in the bottle, you know, potentially a second time Mm -hmm.
0: yeah absolutely Mm. and on it's a it's a different track but it's the same uh it's -hmm. the same railroad i suppose um the the people who especially around uh i think it was wild beyond the witch light and uh a little bit with strixhaven the people who were clapping their hands about oh we finally have uh, a D game that basically lets you not play D Uh mm-hmm. again there 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 are game systems if you don't want to swing a sword at something there there are game systems out there in the the wild world of indie rpgs even mm-hmm. some people who would not call themselves osr who make games for you out there you need to go find them yeah
1: yeah, I, I mean, it, it's, you know, I, I I recently did a video, um, you know, a live stream actually talking about Strixhaven. And, you know, um, and then I go back to that, there was that BBC three video with that, uh, that one British female that was on there talking about, well, this is not your you know, D and D is not your 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 bearded boys in your you know mother's basement anymore. This game is now for us and 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 so on. And I think one of the one of the issues with the modern five E player is that uh they think they created this. Mm-hmm. They think that they you know like they they've innovated something. They've done something that's that's never occurred before. Uh They think that the the three pillars, you know, of role-playing, you know, exploration, interaction, and combat, you know, that, you know, old school games were only about combat, you know, and that there was, you know, there was not exploration and there, there wasn't interaction with your, you know, with the world, with the environment, with the, with the NPCs, with, with amongst the players and everything. It's like a total disconnect of what, you know, what it's always been, you know, uh, it's always been inclusive. It's always been diverse. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, my first, my first party, you know, my first group of players was a, uh, uh, our, our DM was, uh, was born in the United States, but his family was from India. All right. We had a Jewish player. We had a Puerto Rican Italian player. We had me a, a total mutt, you know, uh, you know, Italian, Ukrainian, German, Irish. Uh, at one point, we had a, a Chinese player, all right, born in the United States, but his family was from China. You know, uh, that was our group. I mean, the only thing we had in common were that we were all the same age and we were all males, all right. Um, you know, there just weren't that many female players back in the late 70s, early 80s on Long Island in Sable, New York. I, I mm-hmm. just, you know, they just it was a very small community and and just not a lot of players. Yeah. I mean, if there were if there were 20 Dungeons and Dragons players, it's probably saying a lot. All right. And girls just weren't into it, at least not not in that time period, not in our junior high, high school, you know, uh environment. Um, so it just wasn't there. So but it didn't create diversity, it's always been there. haven't created inclusion it's always been there they didn't create the you know 5e did not introduce anything that wasn't in first edition dungeons and dragons or even odnd all Mm -hmm. right uh it was always there look at dave arneson's group dave arneson's group had at least two if not three women playing in it Mm -hmm. um Gary Gygax's play testers was, uh, you know, he one of his daughters yeah. was a play tester, and and you know, mostly it was his family. So uh, I mean, I, I know he has two daughters. I don't know both of them. I think one played more than the other, um, you know. But uh, but there's always been women in Dungeons and Dragons with TSR, you know, and prominent. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean Anne Meyer. Uh, I mean, is does anybody make better maps? You know, I don't think so. You know, I, I really don't. Uh, I mean, Margaret Weiss, I mean, you have a better, you know, a better person writing, uh, writing fiction that is, that is these Dungeons and Dragons adjacent, you know, uh, I don't think so, you know, and, you know, there, there's always been women throughout. Um, uh, I mean, I can go into, you know, the, um, uh, and it's going to slip my mind, um, her name, uh, well, I know her last name's well, so I'm, I'm forgetting the first name, um, I mean, some of the early modules were written by women. Yeah. Um, So the idea that, you know, this has been, you know, all, you know, Midwestern boys playing the game is, is not exactly accurate either. You know, nothing, nothing was introduced in, uh, you know, with 5e, you know, and, and so when they try to say, well, you know, it, it's different now. No, it's not. You know, uh to use Barack Obama's, you know, famous line, right? You didn't build that. Right. All right. I, I think Wizards of the Coast needs to, you know, have that reminded to them, you know, every once in a while. No, you didn't build that. You mm-hmm. know, Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson built that. Uh, you're you're just writing on Dungeons and Dragons the label.
2: Yeah.
1: All right. Because if it didn't have that label with this game system, be where it's at. I don't think so. Not at all. All right? It's all about the label. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What what Hasbro bought when they bought Wizards of the Coast was the, the, the big thing was Magic the Gathering, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Magic the Gathering has been a massive cash cow for years and years at this point. And that does not look like it's going to change unless someone does something very stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also bought... A D, an ampersand, and a D, which mm. the majority of the population knows that means, oh, those uh, those nerdy guys are going to get together and talk in funny voices rolling math rocks. Mm. Uh, so, that na- like you said, the name is the value there. Yep. And you can slap the name on any game system and a certain percentage of the population is going to buy it. You could slap it on oh, what's a particularly bad game system? Like, I don't know. I don't want to talk crap about anyone right now. You, you could slap it on the worst game system that someone just kind of threw together in 15 minutes in their basement, uh, and a certain percentage of the population would still buy it just because it has mm-hmm. those letters on it. That doesn't mean anything. That's not how you get quality games. Uh, you get quality games by people putting good work in and, uh, you know, really putting love and care and attention into their craft. And that's where the, the community of gamers that I want to play with is Mm going to come from is, you know, the, the people who are really excited about, uh, the, you know, the cool things that, uh, you know frog god's doing with with their mm-hmm. their IPs or you know I I mentioned DCC all the time but you know the, the how awesome the deed die is and how it makes warriors super interesting or mm-hmm. the magic tables and the the critical fumbles right
1: that
0: that's what I'm excited about and you know if something in 5e doesn't excite you if you want to play a game where everyone's just kind of sitting around talking uh you know, I got 15 people that I've run into on Twitter and, and a few that I've had on the show who've got a game they can sell you.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. There's just, there's just so much more out there, you know, and I don't understand why why people, especially young people, like you're young, mm-hmm. experience, you know, go out there and experience new things. You know, why limit yourself to just, you know, and, and to me, what what's really, you know, detrimental I think is when you when you limit yourself to just one company
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know I don't I don't mind so much if you're limiting yourself to one genre or one you know even one game as long as more than one company is making it yeah. because yeah. they might take a different take on it you know than you know then someone you know than that one publishing house yep. will do with it so it's yeah, just don't limit yourself. I, I don't. I don't understand that that desire to just focus on one thing. Hmm.
0: Absolutely. So, with uh, with all that said, um, and, and one thing I do want to mention is I have been watching your uh, your Strixhaven live stream, and I think mm-hmm. that was uh, that, that's a pretty good video. So everyone out there who hasn't seen uh, DM Bloodworth's uh, Strixhaven. I guess it's a review discussion uh, that that live stream that you put out not too long ago. Uh, definitely give it a watch. Uh, but that aside, I, I do want to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the live streams you've been doing and even uh, the content you've been publishing. So uh, are are you looking to, to put out more RPG content uh, as far as publishing on DriveThru in 2022?
1: Yes, I'm I'm currently. You know I, i'm currently taking a look at um at producing something that's that's showing how the osr can do some of the things that 5e is doing just better you know and and be much more interesting and compelling than um and, and just using old rule sets i mean you can you can you can duplicate, I could duplicate Strixhaven mm-hmm. in a better way in 10 minutes, yeah. right? Just just in my head, 10 minutes, you know, and I actually talked about it, I think, during that video too. I was like, Strixhaven, what I thought Strixhaven should have done, if you're doing a school of magic, first of all, everyone in there is an aspiring magic user,
2: yep.
1: you know, I, I, a fighter wouldn't be able to walk in the door. And become an initiate that's that's just crazy this crazy talk, you know um you know everyone in there should be you know uh in a school setting, which means that no one is a first level magic user, mm-hmm. all right, everyone's going in there as a zero level character, working their way towards becoming a first level magic user, and that's where I think you can go. You can go to second edition ad and d all right they they have they have here and I, I was actually getting ready to talk about it you have the complete wizard's handbook all right uh second edition little splat book you can get for i i think i got it for like 20 bucks all right um <laughs> w- w- without having to get it from watsi All right, uh, so uh, i won't give Watsy money You know, I'd rather pay a little bit more on eBay to get the original than to give Watsy money for something that they don't like, you know, that they despise. All right. And so, I mean, I could go through there and I I can make an OSR version of Strixhaven and it would be a true school like setting. And the players aren't going from, I I mean, Strixhaven, which I, I have not read it and I, you know, disclose that fully in that video as well. Mm-hmm. I haven't read it, um, I, I won't bother, but I know it takes you from level 1 to 10. What, what school environment right. is going to take you basically from from apprentice to lord, all right, uh, or, or, or the equivalent of that, you know, a titled character class, you know, level 10 uh, or 9, you know, in uh, AD&D terms, and that's not a school setting. That's an entire adventuring career,
2: Yeah,
1: you know? And, and to me, it's like, if you want to capture a school setting, then your character should be starting at zero level,
2: mm-hmm.
1: all right? And they should be there for maybe two years. And you stretch it out and have... You could have all of those other interactions and non-combat interactions and all of that stuff, but um, you do much better with, uh, with second edition uh, AD&D. Uh, for for that purpose, um, and you could do the same thing for any any character class. I mean, what does it take to become a, you know a knight? All right, so you can go through that whole apprentice pro you know process. Have your characters. I actually created an adventure and started characters out at uh, age eight. Mm-hmm. All right, seven eight, and they had to go through a a very ceremonial, um, again a Nordic ceremonial uh, process you know, of becoming a, a, a man. All right. And, um, uh, I, I, ran an adventure where they were eight years old then an adventure where they were 14 years old and then an adventure where they were first level at 17 years old. All right. And now they were warriors going forward. Uh, that's the kind of experience that you should do. So, so that's something along the lines. I, I want to you know, I want to get to publishing something. You know, something else for the OSR. Um, my most popular publication on the OSR was the OSR, the the OSR, um, the OSR table safety tools. All right. And initially, it was kind of tongue in cheek. And then I said to myself, you know what? I want to make this serious. All right. I I don't want to be overly sarcastic or tongue in cheek with this or mocking. I want this to be a true reflection of how I viewed my own gaming tables, you know, table back in the 1970s and 80s. And and this was, and so as I started writing it, um, you know, it came out to about eight pages and it's, it's the true safety tools that we had. All right. And it wasn't that, it was making the table safe for the players coming in it was making the table safe for those playing there in other words we weren't going to have any kind of an outside influence come in and taint what our purpose at the table was our purpose at the table was was for uh playing a game escapism you know and and just having a good time you know and That's how I wrote that thing. Now, if I had made it 20 cents, (laughs) because I asked him, I said, wait a second, this thing has sold like 350 copies. Now, sure, it it was pay what you want, and most people took it for free, which was great, you know, and but it, I was like, well, aren't I supposed to get like a, you know, a copper seller or bronze or silver or something like that? I think, I think ultimately it would have been like silver seller. And I said, well, no, no, you, you got to charge 20 cents in order for it to be a silver seller. All right. Um, you know, at that level. So it's like, okay, now I know that for, for the future, but it's things like that that I'd like to put out there. I'd like to put out some more adventures and make them virtually free now that I know to make them like 20 cents. So it gets some credit for it, um, you know, being, you know, rated out there. Um, but uh, yeah, but yes, definitely. I, I do want to publish a few more things over the next, you know, um, over the next year. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping to retire this year. So and once I retire this year, then I'll be able to, you know, really, uh, really dedicate a lot of time to uh, writing.
0: Mm-hmm. i think that was tankar's strategy too
1: oh yeah he's yeah well, well he's yeah, retired
0: he, now but
1: yeah he's retired now mm-hmm. yeah um yeah i i know he do, he does his podcast and he does his uh blog i've never been a blogger
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh to me i just don't like that uh and podcasts i i don't I don't like podcasts. I'd rather do video than mm. than a podcast. Uh, I don't even like listening to podcasts. I'd rather listen to a video, you know, while I'm driving to work than than listen to a podcast. I know that sounds stupid, but it's just a it's just I know that the video's going even if I'm just listening to it, mm. and I'd rather have that than listen to like a radio podcast kind of thing
0: yeah I got gotcha. you that's that's why I added this uh, portion of Roland Bones was you know initially it was just an audio podcast and I figured mm. there there are people out there who'd rather I guess see my face <laughs>
2: yeah, no, the... it's
0: a,
1: yeah I, I I guess you know people some people are visual learners and you know like I said it's like it's like a mental thing, right it, It's like for me it's like if I know it's a video, I can listen to it you know, cause I'm obviously not watching a video while I'm driving an hour and 20 minutes to work. But, um, you know, I, I just like to know that there is a video there that I can then after I've listened to it, go back and watch it and, and you just get a different experience. So, you know, to me, uh, I just prefer that medium much better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, as far as
0: like live streams, are you looking to do uh, more of those this year as well?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I am going to, you know, one of my resolutions was that, um, you know, I I, I don't want to just talk about, you know, from time to time, the OSR, Mm -hmm. I want to demonstrate the OSR and I want other GMs and DMS out there to get their games out there. Um, but you know, not necessarily published because there's plenty of people that are publishing, but I mean, do recaps, talk about your games, talk about what you're running today. Talk about what you're hope to be running tomorrow. Um, just keep on going out there on, on roll 20, bombard roll 20 with a whole bunch of D BX games. Mm. All right. Um, change the algorithm. All right. Change the, you know, change the search engines on Roll20. Because if you go on Roll20 and you, you advertise certain games and, you know, if you advertise D&D, uh, I mean, we still come across it every once in a while. Somebody will come in and totally ignore the fact that you, you were specific in saying, I'm running Holmes edition. And they'll come in and say, well, I came up with this character from volo's Guide. <laughs> it's like, no, <laughs> it's not no you're totally missing the point mm-hmm. you know um but i'm i'm playing you know i want to play this bird this bird thing well, i i, I don't even know what the heck they're called um but uh no no it wasn't that it was like a a a kenku or yep. something like that it yeah, was like the a parrot yeah the kenku yep from volo's guide and we're like no it's a well the dm was like no this is a you know, this is a homes edition. I said it for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So just keep, keep on getting out there and, and just say, I'm running ad 1st edition. This is my game every single week, every single week. I put up a, a recap video of our most recent session. Um, you know, so that's, that's something that I want to do. Continue doing that. I want to bring more OSR people. So, like, just before this, my most recent uh, interview was with uh, the RPG Pundit, all right? Massive, you know, massive video uh, forming a live stream uh, for me. Um, That was the format that he preferred, to. so he likes doing live streams, so I was like, all right, great, we'll do a live stream. And, um, you know, to have someone like that on my channel uh, was was awesome because, you know, probably one of the biggest names that i've had on on the channel as far as recognition amongst the osr Hmm. uh he's 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 the guy i think to have on there um i mean yeah if i could get a matt finch on there or uh you know um you know anyone related to or dcc you know Hmm. the you know those kind of people on there as well that would be great too um you know, and they they might actually exceed that level, but but for the most part, I mean, he just had James Raggy on his channel too. I mean, I couldn't get James Raggy on my channel, at least I don't think so. Um, you know, but he was able to. Uh, I took the Venture Satanist, you know, quite often, especially on like Twitter and stuff like that. Uh, I could I could probably invite Venture Satanist on, and he would come on, and it would be a great to do a one on one interview because I don't think very many people have you know have done that with him. Um so that's something that I want to do definitely in in 2022 is is have various people on. Um the next person I'm going to most likely do an interview with is um is Dungeons and Delvers uh, David Gile. Mm-hmm. Or or have him on the uh have him on the channel um, probably coming up within the week. Uh, I think I have to still sit down with him and, and hammer out a day and a time that we're going to do it, but it might even be next weekend uh, that we're going to do that. And I know um, that game is a lot of fun and he wants to specifically talk about the, the magic system and um, cause he thinks that's unique and love to have him on for that. So we're definitely going to, uh, do that video so yeah every week or two i'm looking to do a live stream and i want to just keep on bringing out those osr developers uh, in order to do that Hmm. i chris miller on a couple weeks ago that did anchor which uh he you know that was a great interview as well and uh and his kickstarter uh for his second edition of that game you know looks phenomenal i can't wait to get my hands on it i have the pdf but i'm waiting for the you know i like to get the hard copy in my hand and and then do another interview you know uh, about that and and just do the the page through and and breaking down the system as well
0: yeah awesome so for all of that that's coming up uh you know all, all the great interviews and live streams you've done so far and uh, everything that you're looking to do in 2022, like you just mentioned, where can people find you?
1: All right. Well, they can find me uh, on uh, Unscripted and Unchained RPG Review on, uh, on YouTube. That's the primary place. That's, that's where I'm throwing most of my content. I also link that content onto Twitter. So uh, at Bloodwolf, that's B-L-U-D-D-W-O-L-F. Um, you know, so that's on Twitter at blood wolf on Twitter. And then on Facebook, I have a community called on screen, um, on screen. Um, uh, oh my gosh, <laughs> I just threw, threw myself for a little on screen gaming. So, and then in parentheses, OSG. So that's on there. I just use that as a place to sound off and put my, uh, my videos onto it. So on Facebook, I'm not very active other than just uploading videos to that, uh, to that community. I am all over the place on Facebook and other communities and such. Uh, so uh, I'm a moderator on swords and Wizardries Facebook group um, on, on a whole slew of them, more, more, more places than I can be in. I also appear on um, on Vincent the Evil DM's live stream. That's uh, every Friday night. Uh, we, we've taken off the last three weeks because of the holidays, but we will be back this Friday. And that's that's called uh, Unscripted Evil. And so um, the three of us, uh, so basically three Dungeon Masters, uh, though I don't think Jeff, the co-host, uh, Dungeon Masters, that many games. He plays in Vincent's game. And, uh, and we just talk about various things around the, the tabletop hobby, um, usually taking, uh, taking questions from our, our subscribers and then just spit those out the following week and, and kind of address those. And we try to find one issue to talk about in depth. So, and then I also appear on, uh, legion of myth quite often when i get a chance i can pop in there and and just talk as a you know as just a a guest and 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 you know chad i think the longest the longest live stream i did with them was like six and a half hours and my wife wanted to kill me because it was yeah. like quarter to two we were still going and she was like are you out of your mind you know so uh yeah those can kind of go long and and i have to learn how to you know say oh no it's time to go you know kind of thing midnight is like the, you know i think the my wife's capacity
0: absolutely and uh tell vincent whenever he gets his work schedule figured out if he's got a monday uh monday night off uh i i've invited him on the show before and he couldn't work it out but uh you know what once his schedule kind of works out uh he's welcome on here anytime
1: yeah, I'll let him know and uh yeah, I mean I mean now he he published a game a few years ago that was in any award winning game. So, I mean, like he's like I'm no, nowhere's near uh you know, his his publishing uh you know, capacity and his his track record there. So, uh yeah, but he's he's really really good, uh very knowledgeable as well. So, yeah, I'll certainly let him know uh to come on. Awesome. yeah hopefully he can he can work that out on a on a monday mm-hmm.
0: cool well dm bloodworth it's been great to have you on the show uh i really appreciate you coming on um and uh you know i i hope you have a a great 2022 mine's off to a pretty good start and i hope uh yours mm-hmm. is off to a good start as well and and continues to uh, head the way that you hope, and if uh, things go off the rails, hopefully it's in a good direction.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah. Sometimes off the rails uh, is a real benefit. I mean, it's uh, you know, but uh, yeah, I w- I wish for you the same. You know, great luck with the channel. Hopefully, you get a nice you know a nice big bump here, and uh, you know, and you know, I, I will certainly share out your your channel. I'll even link it to my my channel so that you get, you know, you get some more exposure out there. And, uh, I will certainly, uh, tell Vincent to come on and, and, you know, direct, you know, whomever else, uh, you know, that might want to pop on, uh, send them your way as well.
0: Gotcha. Awesome. I, I greatly appreciate it.
1: Yeah, no, it, 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 it was a lot of fun. And like I said, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it, Never expected anybody to, you know, reach out to me and say, hey, I'd like to interview you. So it's a, my first experience doing it. And, and um, I'm, you know, I tend to be much more humble than, uh, you know, than many people might think, because I know I, <laughs> sometimes I come off like kind of, you know, aggressive or, or certainly, you know, much more assertive and, and such. So, you know, for me, it was it was a great honor. Awesome. Well, I, I'm glad you came on. Mm hmm. Well, guys, that is going to do it
0: for uh, tonight's episode of Rolling Bones. Uh, this week we've got uh, something different and uh, long awaited coming this Saturday. I've got the uh, IDW Games Batman, the animated series adventures uh, board game. It's here, it's behind me somewhere. <laughs> um, and I'm gonna unbox that. It's the All In Pledge, so you guys will get to see everything that was promised for this campaign. Uh, I have, you know, played around with it a little bit, looked at it. This is this is a great package, and I, I'm excited to talk about it. So that that'll be Saturday morning at 10 a.m. right here, uh, Twitch.tv/slash Roland Bones Ryan. We'll be doing that. Uh, Not sure what's going on next week, but in a couple weeks, we are going to do the makeup interview with David Beatty to talk about Weird Frontiers, Uh, so that is still coming. He and I have that scheduled, and we will do it. Uh, There are some big things coming on the horizon uh, that I can't quite talk about yet, uh, but I will have more information for you guys uh, moving forward about... Uh, Some possible changes coming to Rollin' Bones this year that I think will be uh, good for everyone. Show's not going anywhere, but there are some things coming down the pipeline that I think will be awesome in 2022. Uh, So until then, guys, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I am so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I will see you all next time.